welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as usual, it's delightful to have your company. And uh, I look forward to having a fantastic episode this week because two guests are with me, both from uh, CFAB, which is uh, Children and Families Across Borders. It's the UK International Social Services base. And uh, I've got with me Carolyn Houseman, who is the chair and chief executive, and Eve Wilson, who is the inter-country or an inter-country social worker. You have to tell me, Eve, when we come to you, if you're the inter-country social worker or an inter-country social worker. So anyway, welcome to you both. And maybe I could start with Carolyn. Um, welcome to the program. Thanks, David. Really happy to be here. Now, um, this is the 65th anniversary, as far as I can see, of uh, CFAB. Is that correct? Or is it International Social Services, the 65th? Uh, actually, we, we celebrated our 65th anniversary uh, in 2020. It wasn't much of a celebration due to COVID. Oh, I see. We've got a pandemic delay, right? Okay, okay. Yeah, anyway, right. you've been going for a long time, and it's been a sort of a, a, a very kind of, um, in, in many cases, a fight, and, and in other cases, a, a success. And so I want to hear a bit, if you could, about what CFAB's doing now, what, what, what you feel your targets are, your brief is, and... Where your energy is going? Sure, no problem. Well, to, to give you a little bit of background, um, and for those listeners who aren't familiar with Children and Families Across Borders, otherwise known as CFAB, we're the only charity in the UK with a children's international social work team, which Eve is a member of. We're also the UK's only member of the International Social Service Network, so ISS. And that allows us to alert social services and professionally assess long-term care options for children in the UK and in 130 countries around the world. And we do that to really ensure that every child has access to a safe home. We specialize in understanding UK local authority processes, international legislation, and children's placements. And as you've pointed out, we've been doing so for over 65 years. And in fact, um, the International Social Service Network is coming up on its 100th year anniversary in 2024. So lots of experience. And through that network, we, we bridge the gap between local children's services, expertise, and international regulations. Um, it's important to realize, of course, that our ISS network is made up of a mix of agencies from, from government agencies and central authorities to charities and independent social, social workers uh, across, across the world. And that really depends on the state of social services within the country, um, the level of development of practice and, you know, how well we can work with them to meet UK court timeframes and standards. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably also worth noting that while we are a member of ISS, we also work within the Global Social Service Workforce Alliance, which is a global alliance that helps capacity build social service infrastructure around the world, but predominantly in the global south. And so while, you know, we at CFAB and within, within ISS are carrying out the sort of operations of social service, social services, the Alliance is helping to, to build up that infrastructure to support social services, whether that's around degree programs or uh, regulation of social services, et cetera. And we're also through the ISS network an accredited Commonwealth organization. So our reach and knowledge is vast and deep. Well, that sounds, I mean, uh, yeah. so what do you do in the afternoons? <laughs> <laughs> But, we do a bit um, of quality assurance, making sure that we're doing all the right things. <laughs> no, you really have got quite a program on there. But let me ask you this question, because when I was 
in practice, if you like, uh, in local authority social work, um, it, it, it did very, very rarely did anything international come across our desks. And I rather suspect that's different now. And it was only when I got into strategic positions in, in social work that I actually began to embrace, you know, the whole international community and what you can learn and what you can give and also what your responsibilities were. Do you think it's still the same, that, that kind of slight divide about the local authority, social workers and others, possibly not getting much exposure to your work? Yes, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a really big issue. It's something that we come across really on a day-to-day um, basis. And, and, you know, that starts with degree programs within the UK, uh, social work degree programs and the extent to which they cover international issues. And then it comes to... Um, the very practical day-to-day issues that social workers face and whether or not they recognize that there's an international element to the case. So a very typical example you might have is you've got an English-speaking young person who's in care, um, who looks British, sounds British, you know, and the assumption is that they're British, but actually they're Latvian or they're Spanish or they're French or whatever they might be, and they just happen to to come here and, and lose contact with their legal guardians or parents. Um, and that's been a big issue after the UK left the EU, ensuring that those children receive settled status. Um, and then I think there's a role for us in raising awareness more generally just how very international the UK is. A lot of people don't realize that based on the latest statistics uh, from two years ago, just over one third of babies born in England and Wales had at least one parent who was born outside the UK. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not going to be a direct read across across all children in care. But, you know, broadly speaking, if a, th- a third of children in England and Wales have at least one parent born outside the UK, they're likely to have family outside the UK. And I believe the statistics for England and Wales is uh, it's about 13 or 15 percent of the population is foreign born. So, again, you know, a pretty significant proportion of children and families here uh, will have family members overseas. I totally understand. And I think that, as I said, you're now convincing me that beginning to, people are beginning to know more about it because my own experience has been, and I've, I've created child abduction policies for various institutions. Mm. Uh, I mean, the rise in kind of, if you like, non-custodial parents abducting child is quite significant, I, I, I believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but effectively trying to monitor and prevent that has become a much larger problem than it used to be. Um, Is is that your experience? Well, certainly if you look at the statistics published by the Central Authority for uh, Hague Convention, it's 1980, isn't it, Eve, on looking at uh, child abduction, um, you'll see that the stats increase year on year since... um, since that central authority was established. And that is really about, um, you know, private cases where one parent uh, leaves the country with a child and it's considered child abduction. So, yeah, I think that's an increasing issue. We did a, a kind of research looking at public law cases in particular and looking at children who were in care. So we did a freedom of information request on local authorities across the UK and had a 94% response rate um, and we asked local authorities, you know, do they explore family members overseas for children in care? Do they place children in care with family members overseas? And, and if they do place those children with family members overseas, what kind of orders they use to place the children? Um, and we found that more than half of the local authorities could not respond to all three freedom of information requests. 
mm-hmm. um, and forty-one percent, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't specify what orders were used in international placements. And it's a it's a real problem, and it highlights the concern that we have that children That's are being sad. denied the right to really, family. Really, when you think about it, that is, you know, I, I, because the way that communication goes there, and the mul- the multi agency kind of drive these days within social services, you think. <laughs> you think would include international uh, as a kind of a, 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 a primary partner anyway. Yes, you know, well, completely. We, I mean, you know, as of 2019, there's 104,000 looked after children in the UK, right? We said earlier, one in three children born in England and Wales have at least mm. one foreign born parents, you know, 15% of the population. That's England and Wales, not the UK. But, you know, if you look across the UK, we estimate that there's at least 18,000 children in care with family members overseas at any given time. The freedom of information request that I mentioned earlier, we asked, you know, how many children were actually placed overseas. Um, The highest year where children were placed overseas with family members was 2019. And in that year, there were 42 children placed with family. So we estimate 18,000. In reality, there were 42 placed. That's 0.04% 0.04% of looked after children mm-hmm. accessing their family overseas. It's shocking, really. Statistic, really. Okay, look, let, let's just take a, a little pause for a sec. And, and can I just ask Eve something here? Please. Eve, Eve, uh, Eve Wilson, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you very much, David. Yes. Hello. Sorry, I was just <laughs> unmuting myself. And I, I just want to say, um, yeah, I'm an intercountry social worker among a, a small but strong team of nine um, intercountry social workers and case workers. Thank you for um, clearing. Thank you for clearing that up for me. But I mean, that's fine. It's still it's still there for the, uh, the, the sort of job that you do that I'm very interested in, because essentially you're kind of in the front line in many respects in some ways. I mean, could you tell me a little bit about C5, either the, either talk about casework or the projects you're into, or maybe your advice line? Uh, I mean, you know, wh- where would you like to start? We'll talk about Ukraine in a moment, but, you know, with your sort of domestic to start with. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm going to, in that case, um, talking about the the kind of the the, the uh, the core work that we do with mm. um, local yeah. authorities on a day-to-day basis. Well, I'm going to narrow our team down to six then because we've got other social workers, three, well, two two social workers and a specialist worker working in our exciting um, other projects, um, right. which I'll move right. on to because also <laughs> that, that okay. uh, feeds into a conversation that we hopefully have in Ukraine very, very well. But um, in terms of our core work, so we... Um, um, we run an advice line service. We have two active and very, very, very good case workers um, who primarily field calls from local authorities, private individuals, charities um, and legal teams um, every single day. Um, and they advise them on how to get um, the best services from us um, and signpost um, on the behalf of a range of um, uh, countries, agencies, and um, signposting partners around the world. Um, and then in terms of the kind of cases that we work with, 
um, we um, will send uh, urgent child protection alerts overseas for local authorities here. Mm -hmm. um, we will also intercept uh, urgent information from our partner international social service agencies overseas yeah. um, and make sure it goes to the right place if they have concerns about a child that might be in the UK. Um, we will also um, uh, commission and support uh, visits to those children, again, kind of bi-directionally. Um, and I suppose um, the thing that we... Um, uh, what we really focus on as social workers within the team is getting um, as uh, as is getting robust um, assessments for local authorities here, where there's the possibility that a child that um, is either very much on the edge of care or has been placed in local authority care could potentially um, live with a relative overseas rather than uh, remaining in care here or um, or um, yeah. being adopted. Yeah. So that's yeah. really the core of what we do as social workers. So we do a lot of uh, working with the social workers directly here to make sure we've got the right questions, all the information that we need, really building up a rich profile of those children and what's happened to them and their family members and their needs. Um, and then trying to make sure that we liaise with the assessors overseas um, to make sure that um, the right questions are asked. We will review everything and we'll interrogate uh, the reports wherever that's possible um, to make sure that we get a quality assessment um, that uh, helps the local authority decide in that child's best interests. I mean, that that's obviously sounds good practice. Uh, I mean, just following a little bit about what, what I was asking Carolyn about there, do you find when you talk over, you know, as you said, to people from social workers from local authorities or others, that you, you have to spend quite a bit of time explaining yourself first or is are they catching on a bit? Um, well, it, it very much depends, actually, because, I mean, some of the local authorities that we work with um, have a very, very long standing um, and, and, uh, and close relationship with CFAB. Um, largely because of the kinds of demographics that are within those local authorities. And some local authorities obviously do um, have a, a higher number of um, uh, cases where there's an international dimension um, uh, or at least a very visible international dimension, as, as Carolyn's pointed out, a lot of the um, uh, a, a lot of uh, kind of international family structures aren't aren't tapped into. Mm. Um, so they um, so there's often good knowledge among some professionals um, or key professionals that might be working on international cases within those local authorities. But actually, I think that. Um, a challenge maybe local authorities have, as, as we all know, is is because of the turnover of social mm. workers as well. It yeah. means that sometimes um, knowledge of what we can do for local authorities and um, how we've how we've helped local authorities and help and lo local authority social workers before kind, kind of is lost as social workers maybe move on from services. So we do often have to um, kind of explain the way that we work uh, with social workers, uh, sorry, to social workers and, um, and other professionals. Um, and also, I think that um, expectations and what we're, what we're able to achieve 
differs depending on the country, depending on the infrastructure we're working with, whether we're working with an agency that is statutory, has its own protocols in a particular country, or whether we're working potentially with one of our own independent social workers, some of which we've trained and developed, um, which means that we can um, uh, we can guide a lot more as well. So uh, in terms of what we deliver, that can vary from that point of view. So, yeah, there is a lot of discussing that needs to be had uh, around those things. Plus a change. Okay. Um, but you do have, what I believe, it's the Cross-Border Child Safeguarding Working Group. But presumably that's multi-agency, is it? Um, so my understanding is it is, although I think Carolyn's probably better placed okay. to talk about that as okay. well, um, she would say. Yeah. Let me ask Carolyn that, and I'll come back to you in a second, Eve, okay? So, Carolyn, could you hear, are you there? Yes. The cross-border working group, is that, um, is that a multi-agency, and is it successful? Yeah, um, I think it's a fantastic group. So, so a cross-border child good, safeguarding working good. group involves um, representatives from Department for Education, you know, FCDO, Ministry of Justice, Central Authority, um, several uh, embassies are on it, um, uh, several charities within the UK that focus on uh, child safeguarding across borders are on it as well. Um, so it's a substantial adoption group then. That, that's, that's impressive. Yes. Border force. And um, in fact, we've got a meeting coming up in two weeks' time where, you know, we're also going to have the Ukrainian embassy talking um, to all the stakeholders um, about how to coordinate movement of children across borders and how to how to better safeguard them. So oh, really, really important true. informal forum for those, you know, key stakeholders to get together and share ideas. Okay. Well, look, um, I've got a couple more things before we get to, to just you, you, your stuff on Ukraine. And uh, But you are a charity cross-border, cross-culture is how you describe yourself, but a charity all the same. And I, I'm guessing you wouldn't turn away funding. No, we would not turn away. I mean, well, to be fair, we have set a, an ethics policy and we are clear on where we would turn away funding depending <laughs> on what the source was. But yes, we are always in need of, of more funding, that's for sure. Well, I, I, I mean... <laughs> I always, when I ran a charity, I always went by the, the words of, remember General Booth who started the Salvation Army? And he, he was given a, one day, he was given a donation, quite a large one, and it was from a dubious source, and these people sort of pointed it out to him, they were quite outraged, and he said, no, 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 Sonny, I'll take the devil's money and sanctify it. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> if only I had those powers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, can I just ask you one or two things about internally first? Because before, I'm really interested in things like the International Kinship Care Guide. Um, it, how is that recent or is that sort of an established kind of publication now? Well, thank, thanks for raising that, David, actually. So the International uh, Kinship Care Guides, uh, we put together in 2020. It actually comes out of that cross-border child safeguarding ah, working group. Right, right. Um, in recognition of the fact there is DFE guidance on uh, how to manage cross-border cases, but only within uh, the Hague Convention 1996, you know, which a quarter of uh, the countries in the world uh, signatories are, the signatories too. Um, so the vast majority of countries in the world, you know, don't fall under Hague Convention 1996. 
And even um, the regulations set out in that DFE guidance, you know, they're out of date and they're not very detailed. Um, and so what we wanted to do is put together a good practice guide for, for social workers, although it is also used by family lawyers, interestingly, that goes, goes um, you know, covers everything from looking at immigration status and citizenship of a young person and who their potential care might be and, you know, what kind of status they have in the country um, through to what happens after a child is placed, what kind of post-placement support might be available for that child, et cetera. Mm. It is two years old, um, which in, in some measures is very young, but in a post-pandemic world, it might be considered, um, you know, in need of a refresh. Uh, the principles are, are still there and we are looking to refresh it and we're looking to adapt it for a Scottish audience as well at the moment that that ah. International Kinship Care Guide is really for England and Wales. Okay, right, thanks. Um, okay, can I, Eve then, may I ask you if we start talking a little bit about um, what CFAB is thinking, doing and responding to the Ukrainian situation, whether it's the diaspora of people coming to the UK or whether it's a wider international um, kind of response that you're part of. Do you want to just give us a little bit? Because next week, strangely enough, and this will be interesting, I, you know, I've possibly done some voices from Ukraine podcast, but next week I'm hoping to also do a podcast with um, the Bernardo's Helpline, um, who get, I, no, I couldn't quite believe this, but they said something like 8,000 calls a week. I think it might have been 800, but whatever. Essentially, it sounds huge, the number of people needing information. Has that been your experience? Um, it, I don't think it's been our experience in the advice line yet, um, although um, we are prepared to, um, we, we are able to um, provide advice in specific situations as a team. Mm. Um, so, um, local authorities are welcome if they believe it's appropriate to um, approach our advice line. Um, my understanding is that uh, 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 Carolyn um, has been liaising with local authorities um, uh, in preparation for incoming assessments. Um, and in terms of the way that we're able to support uh, local authorities now, um, uh, we anticipate that um, some of the Ukrainian families that uh, will have arrived in the UK may need uh, additional social work support, which will involve cross-border components. So, um, you know, mm. we have um, um, mm. partners uh, that are overseas that are supporting Ukrainian families. We have Ukrainian families that are divided by borders. Um, and it's possible for us to uh, support in the context of, you know, child protection um, assessments, child in need assessments to try to get um, information from overseas and work with those family members um, as well. But also um, we do have a... Um, a family reunification project as well um, and okay. so um, and we have a dedicated social worker that works uh, on that project too um, and we can also assist by helping to resettle more refugee children and their families as they arrive in the UK through that project as well um, so there are multiple ways that we can uh, we can assist if we're approached well, something you know that we've talked about before, and 
and I think that's particularly worrying for me, are, are the vulnerable, unaccompanied um, refugee children or vulnerable adults. I mean, has, has much discussion come your way about that? Um, we haven't had um, we haven't had any referrals yet, um, but we anticipate that we will. Mm. And so, in terms of um, how we would um, how we would manage those referrals and mm. um, and and um, making sure that we're aware of the kinds of organisations that we might need to signpost with in terms of trying to make local authorities aware of what we're able to do and keeping on top of what our partners overseas are doing to work with refugee families um, that may be family members of vulnerable children, unaccompanied children here. Um, we're, um, we're making sure that we're um, staying in touch throughout the crisis to make sure that we know what they're doing and what they're able to do to support when we do start to get those referrals. Yeah. So we're as prepared as possible for, um, um, for, for, for providing that support when we need to. I think you would agree that no matter how well prepared you are, it's the data that's actually going to be very important. Actually, the quality of data actually telling people, alerting people to to particular refugees that might be more vulnerable than others. Um, That's right. Um, and what I will say is our publicity team as well, we've got a really good um, uh, um, communications team. And um, I think that they're very, very attuned to the crisis. We know that um, I think it was the, the UN High Commission, there's a new statistic now as well that, um, um, you know, I think with with the 4.7 million refugees that have fled Ukraine, that's now tipped uh, the number of people that have been displaced around the world to over um, 100 million. Um, mm. So this particular crisis has tipped us over mm. that figure. This obviously has a very as it has a knock on a, effect on capacity. It means that there's there's so many more people that are are vulnerable to. Um, to, um, to to exploitation, particularly unaccompanied children, and um, uh, you know, with that statistic in mind, our communications team are trying to um, get the message out there and also try to raise awareness of what our um, international social work partners, particularly in Moldova and Romania. Um, yeah. are doing to yeah. manage the refugee crisis in, in, in their countries where the numbers are, are very, very high. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let me just say that um, the, the front page, if you like, calling it that, I mean, my mm. techie people would disagree with me, but the front page of the podcast, I want to you to give me any link you can or you want in terms of actually your work or anything you need that you think is relevant that people would be able to access your, you know, access you, communicate with with, with CFAB or, or at least further understand what CFAB has been doing. So, I mean, I, I want to make it kind of, you know, full of links if, if you have them and I'll publish them all. 
Uh, that would be fantastic, David. And there's uh, certainly some links and um, flyers that give um, a really good description of um, what we're able to do, um, uh, including our newer projects as well. So we'll make sure that you have all that information and that anyone that comes to the podcast and, 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 mm. uh, and comes to listen to it or just comes to the landing page knows where to go to get in touch with us for the right support. Yeah, well, I mean, that's great. I mean, and obviously the thing is, after every podcast that I do, I just ask people to join me in, in distributing it as far and wide as we can because you know, it, it's important to get messages across. Can I just switch slightly to, to Carolyn for a question, if you're there? Carolyn? Hello? I believe Carolyn's muted. I, I am sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It was really on a strategic level I was going to ask you, Carolyn, because picking up something that Eve was saying there about, about preparedness, if you like, you must be talking to the wider community quite regularly, you know, opposite numbers, other agencies and mm -hmm. so forth, apart from local authorities mm -hmm. and so on, but uh, internationally. Yeah. Do you feel people are as prepared as they could be? Well, for a crisis, Ukraine or, or for life. Crisis, I mean, generally, no, I expect the answer is no for many crises, but just in the Ukrainian um, situation. Yeah, it's actually, it's very timely that you asked that because last two days I've spent, um, you know, meeting with my counterparts in the ISS network from around the world. And, you know, we had a bit of a digest of response, you know, crisis responsiveness, both to COVID over the last two years and then Ukraine. Um, and I think actually, you know, certainly for ISS, but also for other organizations, you know, the crises that preceded Ukraine, I think had people already in that crisis response mode. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the crisis in Afghanistan that literally was just at the end of last year prepared a lot of that in those international development and international relief organizations um, to respond to Ukraine. So a lot of the work that we've been doing uh, with, for example, Save the Children around um, preparation of host families here in the UK, um, as well as the work that we've been doing with local authorities to think about what kind of you know, post-arrival support is required for um, refugee families is already there. It just needs to be repurposed and adapted for um, right. Ukrainian well, that's, culture. That's, that's helpful. Kind of transferable kind of uh, resources yeah. are always helpful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, can you just tell me a little bit more about... Um, some of the, the the publications that, that CFAB has to offer, because you talked about your, is it, did you say your marketing team, promotional team, or, or communications team? Sorry, are they, but the, those those who actually promote CFAB in your organization. Um, are, are we going to make sure that we can get contact details for them and any publications or activities? Because I know you've got conferences and various things like that that you run coming up. Um, can we make sure that we get all of that uh, um, advertised. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our comms team are great as are our policy teams. Our policy team does all of our campaigns to raise awareness about the particular um, gaps in practice that we're seeing and changes needed to legislation that our comms team are, are very on it in terms of publicizing our, our um, materials and our events. Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll just yeah, sorry, take this on. opportunity, if I can, David, if you don't mind me, to, to mention our International Child Protection Lecture. No, do it. Go, go for it. I mean, <laughs> Which we've is... got about six minutes left, all right? So go for it. 
I'll take one minute of it just to say that <laughs> it's not until November. So we have a couple months. Um, but I think it is really relevant to everything that we've been discussing. I mean, the fact that less than 1% of looked after children in England and Wales um, have had family members overseas assessed as potential carers. Yet we know that the proportion of children in England and Wales with at least one non-British parent is much higher at, at 30%. You know, why is there that discrepancy? I know that there's a big focus within social work and within children's services team, rightly, to ensure cultural humility and competency in the workforce. Um, but why is there such a hesitation to cooperate with foreign social service practitioners? Why is there you know, a reluctance to place a child in a foreign country, right? Yeah. Um, why is there government guidance for working with European countries, you know, predominantly Hague countries and, and before that Brussels II countries, but not Commonwealth countries? Because the UK has a very uh, long and deep history with Commonwealth countries. Oh, yeah. um, I mentioned we're an accredited Commonwealth organization. We have the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting that's happening next week. Um, you know, and we're, we're looking at our International Child Protection Lecture. We'll be focusing on decolonizing social work. And when how to have- November, did it's, you say? It's, it's in November, yeah. The date's not confirmed yet, but the details will be up oh. on our website um, by July. I think you're right to talk about the Commonwealth. I mean, and, and spookily enough, um, I was there at the, at the inception of the Commonwealth Association of Social Workers um, in Colombo, in Sri Lanka. Wonderful. And yes, and we are holding an event in Kigali with them uh, on the 22nd of June to look at uh, how to protect children crossing borders between Commonwealth countries. Ah, Great organization is that, is that there. Monique, is Monique Offrey still chairing? I think she is, actually. I don't know Monique, but... Anyway, whatever, sorry, I'm taking away from some time. But the important thing is that that's going to be advertised there, and it sounds like a fairly important conference, and I think it was... Now, you don't quite know the venue yet, is that right? Um, we want to make it as accessible as possible, um, particularly for social workers in Northern England and Scotland and Wales and Northern mm -hmm. Ireland, so it's going to be online. It's a virtual conference. Okay, fine, right which I think people will get used to. At least that's one benefit, if you like, of that horrible last couple of years that people have got more comfortable with working online. I would like you to say something for about another minute, if you wouldn't mind, Carolyn, a, more of a message to, if you like, um, senior people in the sort of social care networks around the country and you know, listen into it because this goes international as well. So, I mean, just messages about what you think CFAB not only can offer, because I think many of them know that already, but what you would like to see developing uh, in terms of cooperation, because it sounds, everything you've said says that we need more cooperation. Yes, um, and recognition of the fact that we live in a truly globalized world um, and how very international, I mean, we, we, we readily accept that businesses are international and they've got headquarters overseas or they've got branches all across the world. But for some reason, they were a little bit slow to accept that families are international. And if there was one thing that I wanted, you know, um, senior leadership, whether it's in the UK or, or in other countries to recognize is um, how much they are probably inadvertently, you know, and potentially in violation of the United Nations Convention, Convention on the Rights of the Child when children are being denied their right to family because family members overseas aren't being explored. I mentioned some statistics in the UK, you know, and, and how appalling it is 
um, how few children are, are reunited with their families overseas. But having met with colleagues from around the world, you know, yesterday and the day before, I know that's also the case in the United States, in Australia, in Canada, in Germany, and lots of other countries. Um, and, you know, all of us are, are thinking, how do we bring this to the attention of the United Nations? How do we make clear that um, it doesn't matter where in the world, you know, family members are, if a child is taken into care, they have a right to family, they have a right to have that family member explored, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're placed with the family member, because we have to do what's in the best interest of the child, and we have to do what's safe for the child, but they do have a right to have that family explored. Um, and from CFAB's own practice, you know, when we've audited our cases for assessments we've done overseas, there's a placement rate of between 30 and 50 percent when we when we undertake an assessment. So these are viable options for children. Well, anything that improves kind of universal responsibility and universal care, I think, is excellent. Let me, let me just give a quick 30 seconds and I'll come back to you for a last word, Carolyn. Eve. Um, if you were kind of to say any messages for social workers possibly thinking about um, looking into international work, what, what would you say? Just give us half a minute on that. Well, I suppose a couple of things, and it's kind of um, uh, a, a kind of bookends of each other in a way, because I, want to, I, I was thinking, you know, really, in, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good idea wherever possible to think about exploring family members when you really start, start working with a family. Um, because by the time that you get to a stage where you're, um, you're thinking about uh, family members that you can place the child with, um, you know, there's often um, a, a very, very, very short window of time if you've entered proceedings in order to explore all of these family members. And uh, we often find that um, it can take some time to get those uh, assessments off the ground as well. There's, you know, it, it, there are complex factors in in trying to, um, in, in ensuring these assessments happen. So the more information a social worker or a social work team comes into care proceedings with in relation to to a to a family the better but also um you know it's a good way of stopping uh potentially stopping it going into proceedings as well if you if you um have um a, a, a strong family network um on board as well you have um a better mm -hmm. chance of supporting that family to look after the child um be that through other social work practices okay. like family group conferences as well so this is something that must be explored for every child i'm going to and... have to stop you there Eve, oh, because sorry just okay yeah. run out of time just carolyn any last word sorry Eve, but mm -hmm. any last word carolyn Yes, give us a call on 0207-735-8941 or check us out at www.cfab.org.uk. We'll put that in front of the podcast. We'll put it all in front of the podcast. But for now, um, Carolyn Houseman and Eve Wilson, it's been a delight talking to you. I, I know we could go on. Thanks, Maybe we'll do another one. I'd love to. Sounds good. Thank you both. It's been lovely, David. Thank you very much. <laughs>